strangers, outcasts, and orphans. When I say those words, does an image come to your mind of, of what a stranger and an outcast and orphan might look like? I, I know the image that comes to my mind doesn't look like me. I, I, I've never looked like that. Well, what comes to your mind when you see people? Well, now you really can't answer that question, can you? Because it, it depends on what people you're looking at, right? We see different things. We think different things when we look at people. But our eyes pretty much sum up judge everything we think about people. Let's kind, of, let's kind of look and see just by a glance at what we think about people. Let's look at this first picture. Who's that? The Marlboro Man. Now when I see that guy, I think, now that's a man's man right there. Does anybody doubt that guy's on top of things in his life? That guy's in charge. He's strong. I, I see rugged individualism when I see that picture right there. How about this next one? <laughs> Other than a new hairdo, what do you see? You see money. You see wealth. You see a guy who has power. See, now, whether any of that is true or not, we, we look with our eyes, we make judgments, and that's what we see. How about this next one? Well, no, that's just the opposite, isn't it? Now, a number of words come to our mind when we, when we see that picture. We might think of homelessness, poverty. You know, there's probably some uh, rejection, some hurt. We see that picture. How about this next one? Tom and Kate. Ah. Uh, I, I think I read somewhere, this is the most recognizable couple in the world. Can you imagine that? So we see these two people. We think famous, super famous, maybe too famous. How about this next one? Ooh, bad. It, you think there is one face in human history right now that at least for our generations more represents evil than the face of Hitler. Now we think of that on a world scale, but you know what? Probably a lot of us have a Hitler in our life. We've got somebody that when we see their face, it brings up such harsh emotions because that face for us represents, it symbolizes hurt and evil and wrong. See, we, you can't say, what do you see when you see people? Because we see all kinds of things. We look at people and we see good things and we see bad things. We see things we'd want to be a part of our life. We see things and people we don't want anything to do with in our life. You see, when we look at people, we make all kinds of judgments. We all do. Every single one of us. You make a judgment about people, usually based on nothing more than what you see. Now, the worst thing that we do when we're doing this is that we judge people as being worthy or unworthy of Jesus. Gosh, that sounds ominous, doesn't it? I'm sure more than one of you in here right now is thinking, I, what are you, I, I've never done that. I, I don't think I've ever done that to me. You've done it and you've done it lots. So what, what, how, what do you mean? How and when have I ever done something like that? You know, there is a short little verse in the Bible... Jesus said it. It's maybe one of the most quoted scriptures in all of the Bible. It's Matthew 7, 1. 
In that passage, Jesus says, Do not judge so that you won't be judged. I call this the life verse of sinners. Anybody who doesn't want to be confronted, anybody who doesn't want to be told they're doing wrong, they know this verse. They may not know any other verse in the Bible. They may not know where this one is. But they know, don't judge me. Folks, you know what? It's not being judgmental to call sin what the Bible calls sin. That's not being judgmental. It's not being judgmental to, to look at, at, at two people actively involved in a sexual relationship and say, you know what? God is not with that and he will never bless that outside of marriage. You have his curse, not his blessing. That's not being judgmental. Doesn't sound very nice, but it's not being judgmental. It's not being judgmental to say, you know what? When you lie, when you steal, when you get drunk, guess what? You are removing God from your life. He will not be a part of what you're doing. That's not being judgmental. It's not being judgmental to say that, you know what? Without Christ, people go to hell. You know what? It's not judgmental to look at a believer and say, God's will, God's plan for you is to be actively involved in His church. Those things are not judgmental. People don't like to hear them, but it's not being judgmental to repeat Scripture to people. I mean, do we, do we really think Jesus was saying, don't ever repeat my word to somebody else. That's just mean. Don't do that. Well, that's ridiculous. Of course He's not saying that. But then that does raise the question, well, what, what, what is he saying? When he says not to judge people, what is he saying? Being judgmental is when you and I, as a possessor of the good news of Jesus Christ, look at someone, and based on their skin color, based on their clothing, based on activities that they've involved themselves with, based on all kinds of things that make us uncomfortable with people, when we look at them and decide they don't need the gospel, or they are unworthy of the gospel. Folks, do you realize the kind of the self-centeredness we have going on here? And this is the power of what Jesus is saying when he says don't judge. Because basically, when I look at somebody, unless they look just like me, eat like me, talk like me, go where I go, and do what I do, unless they look just like me, they're a bad person. I don't want to be anything to do with them. Maybe don't even want to see them receive the gospel, which means, you know what? If you don't look like me, you can go to hell. That's what Jesus is referring to when he says, you are not in the position to look at somebody and say, I'm not giving you the gospel. Well, we we kind of set ourselves up as God. Jesus says we can't do that. We, we don't have the right to look at somebody and say, you know, if I told them the gospel, they'd think it was stupid. Now that might be when I look at them what I feel, but I don't have the right to make that judgment. You know, if I tell them the gospel, they're going to think I'm stupid. I'm not the issue. You know, if, if when I look at them, when I look at Donald Trump, what am I going to tell Donald Trump? I mean, he, does he have any needs physically on this earth? Probably not. But spiritually, he's bankrupt. That's not a judgment about him. I don't know Donald Trump if he knows the Lord or not. But I'm saying, you see what I'm saying? When we look at his eyes, if they've got money, if they've got power... If they look like they're on top of life, and folks, probably most of us in this room have held back from presenting the gospel because 
they're more on top of life than I am. They seem to have more things going for them than I am. And so we make a judgment and judge them. We can't do that. How about a hard one? Osama bin Laden. Does he need the noose? Or does he need the gospel? I, you know what? Actually, I think he needs both. Yeah, honestly, I'm not really saying that to be funny. I pray the justice of God on that man's life. But you know what? God has an instrument on this planet for that judgment. And it's not me. God has put, check out Romans chapter 13. God has put the government on this planet to execute justice. Now that justice is taken care of, then the church, that's you and me, we are freed up to forgive and carry the gospel. I've had people ask me multiple times in my ministry, I've been a victim of the crime. Does forgiving, does turning the other cheek, does that mean I don't allow them to be charged with that crime? Absolutely not. You are to forgive. And you are to let the state do what God has put the state here to do. And that is to execute justice. But you see, God's put that there so that I am no longer all wrapped up in hatred and in bitterness and in anger and in vengeance. I'm now released to be for that person what Jesus was for that person. Forgiveness and grace. How about another group of people? The homosexual community. That's certainly one that is at odds with the church. I mean, we probably as a church would like to see them run out of society, strung up, cast out. Uh, we, we hate them. We fear them. Get, get, get rid of all of them. Is that what God has called the church to be and do for them? Or are we to be a representative of the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ? Now, as I'm throwing these things out, you might be thinking, now, now, now does not being judgmental, does that mean we condone sin? Does that mean we just don't look at it, that it just doesn't matter? Absolutely not. Homosexuality is a sin, and I'm not doing them a favor by treating it as anything different than a sin. What not being judgmental means is I look past the sin, and I see the person, and I see the tragedy. See, here I go, and I go back to our pictures. We look at Tom and Kate. We look at, at Donald Trump. We don't see any tragedy there. No, not in the physical world for a moment. And you realize that's all this life is in light of eternity. For a moment, there's no physical tragedy there. But there's a great spiritual tragedy that is going on. And there's only one answer. There's only one solution. And God has called only one people to carry that solution. And that's you and me. Is sin to be confronted? Is sin to be dealt with? Yes. And God has put things here to do that. You and I are to carry a message. We might look at that picture of the homeless person, of the poverty. We might look at somebody racked with disease or beat up by the world. And we say, oh, there's, boy, there's the tragedy. Folks, the physical, what we see, that's not the tragedy. It's where they're heading for all eternity if nothing changes. That's the tragedy. See, we've got to stop judging people by what we see. We need to see what Jesus sees. You say, well, what does Jesus see? Well, he shows us that. Would you look with me this morning in Matthew chapter 9? 
Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 35. If you don't have a Bible with you, we've got some there under the chairs. They're not under every chair. They're kind of spread out. But if you'll kind of look down and point to one, I know somebody would be more than happy to pass you one. want everybody to have a copy of God's Word. We're studying the Scriptures. That's what we believe. That's what we study. Matthew chapter 9. I'm going to begin reading in verse 35. It says, Then Jesus went to all the towns and villages, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the good news. That's what we carry. We carry good news. It should sound like it too, shouldn't it? Have you ever told somebody good news? Were you happy? Were they happy? Was it, was it an exciting moment? Folks, that's our ministry. We're a good news ministry of the kingdom. And he healed every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, look at this, there's a crowd of people out there. Now, what kind of people are out there in front of them? Are they all wearing suits? They all look like church people? No, it's a crowd. You know what's in a crowd? Everything normally. When you look at a crowd, normally you got a little bit of everything out there. You got part of the crowd you'd feel very comfortable with, love to go have dinner with them. You got part of the crowd you'd want nothing to do with them. They don't look like me. They don't act like me. They don't dress like me. They don't eat what I eat. I don't want anything to do with it. But Jesus looked out at that crowd and he didn't see what was like him or what was like, wasn't like him or what he didn't like or what he liked. He felt, what does it say here? Compassion for them because they were weary and worn out like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest now jesus is the son of god he possesses and he uses the very powers of god and he possessed and he used those powers in his earthly ministry jesus had a profound ministry where jesus walked he had an impact and that's why it's his body of christ we desire to have an impact where jesus has been where the body of christ has been there should be an impact everywhere he went he made a difference. He went where he intended to go. He touched who he intended to touch. And yet, as he comes to this moment, he looks up at this sea of humanity and all he sees is need. And he feels great compassion. Now, you know, you might wonder, well, why didn't he fix it? I mean, if he looks out there and sees all that need, let me tell you what Jesus is not doing here. He's not presenting a frustration or a limitation. Jesus has not done all of this ministry, all of this work, and then he looks out there and goes, I can't get to it all. I can't do it. I'm worn out. Father, please send help. That's not what he's doing. We'll say, well, then, then fix it, Lord. You, use, your, use your God hand. Just, just wave over the people and just solve all the problems. Fix all the problems. Take care of all the need. Why doesn't He do that? As a matter of fact, we might wonder, hey, Jesus, here's what you ought to do. Rise an appropriate distance above the earth. You know, whatever distance we're like, everybody would be able to see you. And then do, do a big, huge miracle where we would all see and we'd all believe and we'd know the Christians were right. Yay, we won! I mean, wouldn't that solve the problem today if Jesus would just do a big miracle the whole world could see? No, it wouldn't solve a thing. Miracles don't change anybody. I believe in miracles. Don't misunderstand what I said. 
I believe God did miracles. I believe God's doing miracles. Unfortunately, they just don't change anybody. Who'd pay money to see the Red Sea parted? I would. I think that'd be cool to see that. God parted an entire sea, marched two million people through it, and less than a month later, they built a golden calf and worshipped it as their God. <laughs> they were witnesses of the biggest miracles this planet's ever seen. Didn't change them. Jesus stood before a tomb, called out a man who'd been in that tomb for four days dead. There were people in the crowd that witnessed that. And by the end, listen to this, by the end of that week, they called for him to be crucified. It is so easy for us to think if God would just do a big honking miracle, all oh, would be so easy to believe. No, it wouldn't. Oh, it gets you excited. We get excited at miracles. We rally at miracles. It's a big hoopla time. Doesn't take us any time, though, to get right back to sin and a lack of faith. Well, th then, then what does change people? What do we need? Well, the Bible says we need faith. Faith is what changes the situation. Faith is what makes us a child of God. Where do we get that faith? Is it when God does big miracles? No. Romans 10, 17 says, so faith comes by what? Hearing. Not, not by a big miracle. It comes when Jesus came to this planet. And then when all of his followers after him, when we go and we just one by one by one by one by one, we communicate the message of the gospel. That's when, that's how people are changed. It's not that God needs to wave his big God hand and just fix it all. It won't. It's not that he's incapable. It's not what he's designed. He's called us to faith. And he's called you and I to be messengers of that good news. That good news that, that God loves you. He loves people. Are you ready for this? He loves people who don't dress like me. He loves people who don't eat like me. He loves people who don't have the hair length I have. He loves people who speak in other languages. It's shocking, isn't it? I mean, I say that jokingly, but folks, most of the American church, I don't think, has gotten this. I think a lot of the American church is very guilty of thinking God loves white middle class people who go to church at 11 o'clock. And it breaks the Son of God's heart. Do you see his heart right here? Do you see his heart? God's not building a kingdom of people who look like Randy Hahn. We're to carry a message that God loves people. People. And that he will forgive them. He doesn't forgive them because he woke up one morning and on a, on a whim decided that sin was no big deal. Ah, I know they've done their best. You know, maybe I made the standard too high. No, that's not why He forgives. He forgives because His Son paid the price. And when you and I will place our faith and our trust in Jesus and what He accomplished for us on the cross, we can be changed. We can be changed from death to life. We can be changed from being a child of Satan to a child of God. By the way, the Scripture says you're a children of one of them. You're not somewhere in between. You are today a child of Satan or you are a child of God. There is no in-between. And we carry a good news message. It says you don't have to be a child of Satan. There can be a change there. 
And God sent His Son into this world to carry that message. And as the Son ascended back up, He sent His followers out to carry this message. And you and I look at people and say, I'm not telling them. And it breaks His heart. I mean, I mean look, at, look at this word. When you think of the word compassion, what do you think of? Heart. You know what's funny? We think of heart. In this original language here, in the Greek language, the word here for compassion has a reference to the bowels. See, there is a feeling there that is so deep. It is so gnawing. You can't ignore. It's that eating my stomach up because he cared so much. It ate his stomach up. He couldn't ignore it. We ignore it, don't we? We've learned to walk by people all day, every day, and see nothing but what we don't like. Jesus couldn't ignore it. Why couldn't he ignore it? Because when he looked at people, it says here that he saw that they were weary and they were worn out. You know, we look at those two words and it almost sounds like Jesus saying, Guys, you guys, looks like y'all have had a long, hard day. Did you travel long to get here? Gosh, I, w I just wish I could give you a meal and a cot, take a little rest. But that's not how these two words are translated. Again, we see the physical. Jesus' reference here is to the spiritual. They are weary of life. They're weary of trying to make it work. They're weary of trying to find forgiveness and, and help for their guilt. They're weary of trying to find purpose and meaning. They're weary from being sent down all kinds of wrong roads in life because the world never stops bombarding with them. Saying life and happiness is down this road. No, it's down this road. No, it's down this road. And people all over this planet are running up and down roads trying to find life and love and meaning and purpose. And they're getting worn out from it. Is there a God? Does He love me? Does He know me? They're getting worn out trying to find that. You know, another word... For these two words in the Greek language, if you wanted a word picture for this weary and worn out, it's this. Jesus says, I look out there and I see people who've been wadded up and thrown away. And it's breaking his heart. been wadded up and thrown away. You know, you and I will look at that homeless person and we'll say, yeah, man, that, that person's been wadded up and thrown away. But you know what? You wouldn't look at Donald Trump and say that. You wouldn't look at Tom and Kate. You wouldn't look at those people in your life at work who just seem more on top of life even than you. You wouldn't look at them and say they're wadded up and thrown away. But folks, you know what? Everybody on this planet's being wadded up by this world. Now, some people, while they're being wadded up, are awfully pretty. Some people, while they're being wadded up, have a whole lot of money. But in the end, they're still wadded up. And they're still thrown away. Doesn't matter what they look like in the process. They're being wadded up and thrown away. And that's not what their Savior and Creator desires for them. How did they get that way? How do so many, how do most people end up wadded up and thrown away? Well, Jesus says here, because they're like sheep without a shepherd. How many of y'all have ever seen a shepherd? 
cut one, two, three. We don't do a whole lot of sheeping around here, do we? I don't think that's a word, but it is now. Yeah, see, when Jesus said they're like sheep without a shepherd, a vision came in everybody's mind. I think probably in our culture, what Jesus is saying here is these people, they're without a leader. They don't have anybody to lead them. Listen to how the the Bible describes this whole sheep and shepherd thing in Numbers chapter 27, verse 15. So Moses appealed. He appealed. He prayed. He begged to the Lord. May the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the community who will go out before them and come back in before them, who will bring them out and bring them in so that the Lord's community won't be like sheep without a shepherd. In Ezekiel 34, verse 5, listen to this. They were scattered for lack of a shepherd. They became food for all the wild animals when they were scattered. See, a shepherd is somebody who leads us to where there is real life, real sustenance, real meaning, real purpose. He, he protects us from b- the bombardment of the world and the wild animals of this world that want to d- devour our lives. The problem is, is in our pride and in our arrogance, I don't need a leader. You think the Barlboro man, would you look at him and say, boy, you know what? That guy, he's looking for a leader in his life. No, no. Not that picture. That's rugged individualism. We need a leader. That's why it's very difficult to come to Christ without humility. Because I've got to see, I can't lead myself in this world to where there is real life. Where's the leader? The leader is Jesus Christ. And his leadership is revealed in this book. This is the leader. This is what will take us to where there is real life. And that's what Jesus' heart, that is what his compassion was for. That people would know real life, real meaning, real purpose. But you know what? That's not all his heart was for. His heart was not only for all of these people. His heart was also that you and I would go and tell them. That we would carry the message. Do you see his heart there? Pray, pray, pray that the Father will send out harvesters. Pray. Do you see his heart? Do you see his passion coming out? Well, I think when we've not moved into this nice, big, comfortable home, we need to see that word send out. That word send out there in the original language actually means to be thrust out. If you were to see what this word means, imagine somebody sitting comfortably there in the chair. And somebody comes up with a knife and rams them in the rear end. Puts a fire under the seat. That's what that word is right there. Send them out. Jesus is saying, God, would you make them so uncomfortable that they are thrust out of their comfort. And they are burdened by the need in the world of the people that we're looking at. Why? Why does God want this so much from us? Because of the urgency. There's a harvest. You know, with the word harvest, there's always a time period. I mean, when the farmer says the harvest is in, that means right now. And and when the harvest is in, the farmer is always very concerned about getting out there and getting that harvest in. If you leave it out there, storms can batter it and ruin it. Insects and bugs can demolish it. It can just rot. 
Is there any greater loss to a farmer than to not bring the harvest in? But the harvest Jesus is talking about is not oranges and wheat. He's talking about human souls. People He created. We've been talking now for three weeks about what people see when they come to this church. They need to see people who care. People care. People who care about people who enter these doors. People who care about people who have not entered these doors. People who care about people who will never enter these doors. And we care so much that it sends us out into the world with good news. Sin needs to be corrected. Sin needs to be fixed. But Jesus says we lead with good news. Tell you what, the people business, it's hard. They do smell. They do hurt our feelings. They have hurt us. They're going to do wrong. They're going to take advantage. They're going to disappoint. Some don't want what we have to offer at all. But Jesus hasn't asked us to make all those judgments. He just asks us to look out there and say, do you see what's happening? Life is wadding them up and throwing them out. Go and tell them. You realize when he prays, when he's there with those 12 guys and he says, pray that my father will send out workers. Do you know who he's praying for? His church. You. And me. We're the ones he's praying for there right now. What do we do with this passage? I think two things we have to leave here with today. Number one, I've got to pray. I've got to pray. And, and this is not a pray I pray today in church and then I'm covered. I think I've got to pray this prayer every single day. God, I pray that I see what you see and I feel what you feel when you look at people. I don't know who I'm going to see today. Maybe I do know who I'm going to see today. Truth is, I'm going to see people I expect to see. I'm going to see strangers. I'm going to see people I don't expect to see. God, as I see them, may I see what Jesus sees. May I feel what Jesus feels. Second thing we need to do is we need to pray. We have a boldness and we have an opportunity. Go and tell them there is a leader. Jesus and His Word. Who will take you to what you want in life. Folks, if people come to this church and they don't see that in us, they have not seen a church.